Hi, everyone. Welcome. We're just going to gather together and give us a couple minutes and we'll get started. Get comfortable. everyone welcome uh, we are just gathering a few more people in here and then we will go ahead and get started just give us a quick minute Okay, we are looking good. We're going to get started. Um, just want to welcome everyone to today's uh, DLN's Expert Access, a closer look at important and relevant topics in the architecture and design industry led by leading experts. Uh, today's topic looks at contracts under pressure. Uh, our host today is DLN's uh, Michael Boudreau and our guest is um, Alex Tuttle, uh, just a reminder, we'll be taking questions via the Q&A chat button uh, within your Zoom program. So if you have any questions, please post them there and we'll get to them as soon as possible. Um, and I will hand it off to Michael. Thanks, Megan, and um, welcome everybody. Um, I'm very happy to um, have this webinar with Alex Tuttle. Alex, as I'm sure many of you know, um, uh, wrote our white paper that's on the DLN website on uh, how to create a winning contract. Um, he worked with, we worked with five or six of the masters. Uh, Alex, Alex, by the way, is a founding uh, um, partner of Tuttle and Yick, which is his, his law firm that specializes in real estate design, um, construction, litigation, all kinds of issues having to do with design and his many design clients. And we had asked him about a year ago uh, to meet with, to look through the contracts of five or six of the design masters. And then we all met together and Alex went through all of the contracts and found some very interesting uh, issues with some of them and prepared the white paper, which I'm sure you've all read um, on the web website, creating a, a winning contract. 
but times have gotten even more complicated than they were a year and a half ago. We're all in this crisis together. And of course, one of the things that we thought we should um, look at again is what does this mean in terms of your contract? Do you need to change your contracts, update your contracts? Are your clients going to be coming to you wanting to change their contracts? So we are happy once again to be turning to Alex to get the latest information and his insights on um, what you should be thinking about in terms of your contracts now in face of the coronavirus crisis. So Alex, I turn it over to you. Um, Thanks, Michael. Uh, interrupt at times, but <laughs> it's all no you. No problem. Please do, uh, because we're in uh, unprecedented times uh, right now. And uh, as we go, I'm learning as well. I'm getting information and requests from my clients and experts that I consult with on a regular basis. Um, the issues, I would say, fall into generally three categories, three or four categories of things that I would think about uh, from a designer or architect perspective, uh, one of which obviously is compensation, the most important, that's why we have a contract so we can get paid and make sure we get paid. Uh, the other of course is, is liability, um, to what extent we can insulate ourselves from liability, both from uh, any claims by our clients uh, for delaying uh, the project, even if you're not necessarily responsible for the delay. Um, and of course, uh, with respect to your employees, to the extent that you're asking them to come in uh, and work for you or be on site at a project, um, are you covered uh, in this environment? Uh, we may, you know, right now, there's a moratorium generally on construction for all non-essential projects. Um, the essential projects would include in infrastructure and uh, anything that has a affordable housing component. Uh, so from a commercial real estate standpoint, um, you could still proceed uh, under those projects and residential projects right now are, are primarily on hold unless you're not going through the DOB and, or the buildings looking the other way. Um, and then from a final point would be, um, you know, how do you address these issues with, with your client? Um, you have dispute resolution mechanisms in your contract and uh, you want to see how you can get to a resolution uh, in the most efficient, prompt, and, and hopefully in a way that can that preserve your relationship with your clients. Um, so that's how I think about these things that, um, that are surfacing right now with, with COVID and, and the governmental shutdown, the executive order. And, um, you know, each of those has uh, a number of things you should be thinking about if you don't have a contract and you're entering into a new contract with clients, or if you have an existing contract on how to address um, these issues. Right, so um, the, the white paper that I wrote talked about uh, all the key, or in my view, the, the key components to the, to the contract. And a, a lot of them are triggered here. Um, specifically, um, we have uh, the scope of services could be affected, uh, your compensation, your fee structure, the timing of your fee, um, when you're gonna be paid, um, what kind of liability uh, you're insulated from, uh, the dispute resolution, of course, and um, where your deliverables are. And so each of those uh, I can talk about briefly, or we can, you know, tell me how you want to uh, speak through various issues, Michael. I'm, I'm happy to no, speak. I, I, I think it would be great if you would, would um, address them and maybe talk about some of the concerns your clients have raised um, in the past seven weeks or so, eight weeks. Right. Okay, so the first thing, uh, the first two calls I got were, um, uh, we are in, 
we don't know when our next check is coming from our clients. And we need, we have a lot of overhead. We have a lot of staff and we don't know if we can carry that overhead on a monthly basis. So we need to start uh, furloughing or laying them off. So the first question is how do we do that without running afoul of the New York and federal guidelines? And so that's uh, a very specific um, area of law that needs to be consulted with an employment lawyer about to make sure that if you are going to reduce someone's compensation, um, it's done so in the proper way. Um, if you let someone go, it can't be discriminatory. Uh, there's all sorts of things you need to consider in terms of how um, to address your workforce. And oftentimes you'll increase your workforce for a specific project. And that carries its implications on how you get paid to make sure you sustain those employees on a particular project. Um, the next question was, how do I make sure I get paid by my clients? And that's when you want to look to your, look to your contract, of course, and you want to be able to, um, you don't want to necessarily recite from your contract at the outset, but in your opening dialogue with your client, uh, you want to be able to have that handy uh, to discuss how uh, compensation is going to go forward. Um, tied to that is, well, how is the project going forward? If you're, are you in the design phase? Are you in the construction phase? Are you in the purchasing phase? Uh, if you're in the design phase, maybe you may not be that affected because you could continue uh, with the back office design um, in anticipation of the project ultimately being built. Uh, so the real question is what kind of financial resources does the client have to keep you going, get the design going with an uncertain start date of the construction? You don't know uh, when that's going to resume in full. So those are, those, those are some of the things to consider. Uh, as you have a conversation with the client. And of course, the specific mechanisms you want to talk about um, tied directly into how your contract is structured. So if you have uh, payment based on deliverables or milestones, um, that, could be, that could be affected because anytime there's a delay, you may not be able to get your deliverable on time. Um, if, it's, if your fee is based on cost of construction, um, who knows what the cost of construction is going to be at a later time because of uh, increased cost of materials or when you're going to be building the projects. Um, there's all sorts of issues that can be considered. And one of the things that you try to do in the beginning, if you are going to do uh, a fee based on the cost of construction is you want to have an established budget that is constantly being um, updated so that you know that you're getting paid based on what you anticipate. Uh, the ultimate construction cost being. And if you don't have that, you could be at risk of the construction budget going dramatically down or stopped altogether because uh, the client at that point decides it's not, it doesn't make financial sense in this real estate market uh, to proceed with the project. Uh, some, of the other, some of the other key points that you would be able to uh, look to in your contract would be, you know, what, what have you done to protect yourself up front? Do you have, um, an escrow or retainer rather that are devoted to your fees? Do you have, um, uh, when your invoices are submitted, do you have something in your contract that talks about um, if there's no objection, uh, they're deemed approved? Do you have, um, what can you do? Can you suspend services? Can you terminate? These are all things that, that you would look to your contract to see what your rights are to have a more productive conversation with the client. 
Um, as a practical matter, though, you don't want to start triggering any of those things because um, that kind of signals that it might be heading towards the end of the relationship. So you would um, you would see what kind of how you would work out some sort of middle ground. Um, you can offer incentives to pay um, over a period of time. Um, you can uh, form credit card payments, uh, discounts in prices, reduction in fees, um, trade um, trade uh, scope of services for additional fees or, or the same fees. Um, there's all sorts of ways you can you can try to ensure that you're still getting a benefit from continuing on with this project, but at the same time, um, you know, preserving that relationship. So those are things to consider from a, from a payment perspective. Um, on the liability side, in addition to uh, your, in addition to like your employees coming in and being like you coming into the office and and um, going to the site, uh, a project site, you want to make sure that you have an adequate workers' compensation policy. That is going to be your number one safeguard to protect you from any claims by employees who might say they got sick or at the office or on site. Now, while that may be hard to prove, uh, you still don't want to have to be having that fight um, ever. And so that's why you have a workers' compensation policy. Now in New York, there's a limited exception where there could be claims uh, against you, but you'd have to be uh, almost willfully um, forcing your employees to do something that would put them in, in harm's way or doing something intentional that would put them in harm's way. So as long as you're acting prudently and responsibly, uh, you should be, and if you have an adequate workers' compensation policy and you can you check with your insurance to make sure you're covered, uh, you should be well insulated from, from claims from, uh, from your employees. Uh, on top of which, you should make sure that they, you, know, you follow all the general guidelines from the CDC, from the um, from various from from New York's guidance on how to how to socially distance, how to wear certain protective gear, and uh, clean your office, various things like that. So that's how that's how I would go about making sure that that you're protected from claims by your employees. And um, with respect to your clients, now that's another issue. Not only do you want to get paid, but you don't want to be looked at by your client as the source of the problem, right? So the client's going to say, yeah it's quote unquote, an unforeseeable condition, didn't expect this, but we have a contract and you were supposed to deliver and you're not delivering. Or um, if, you're, if you're responsible for purchasing, there's supply chain issues and you can't get those materials on time, uh, the client could be looking to you and say, well, I wanna pass that risk off to you because that's what I hired you to do. And you wanna make sure that you are protected. Now, one of those, one of those key terms that are constantly being thrown around uh, is, is force majeure. What does that mean? Um, and typically, the, oftentimes you'll have a, a clause in a contract that, that's called a force majeure. It means that uh, you won't be held responsible for what's called an unavoidable delay and, uh, or an unforeseen condition. And I would say that um, something like this would be exactly the type of act of God or unavoidable situation that is uh, typically falls within uh, an, a force majeure type of clause. And if you don't have that clause in your contract, you can still make legal arguments uh, that the whole purpose of your contract was frustrated or it's impractical. Um, of course, then it's a fight over what that means in the legal sense. There's been case law on it in New York um, where 
um, similar situations where people were forced to keep a distance from each other, uh, basically frustrated the purpose. This is where uh, a case where musicians were not allowed to be around each other and then uh, their ability to create the art for their, um, their promotion or their publicists uh, was completely frustrated and therefore they weren't necessarily responsible for delivering the product uh, or their music on time. So those are, those are certainly things to consider. Um, you first look to your contract and then you look to whether you can make the argument that you don't have the ability to, to do what you were contracted to do. So that's how I, I would capture the, the big ticket items. And then of course, uh, the, final, the final point is the dispute resolution. Right now the courts are uh, generally closed to all non-essential new filings. So what that means is if I had a claim that was not involving some emergency criminal or healthcare or COVID related um, essential item, I can't bring a claim. So under let's say a residential contract, I wanted to, uh, I wasn't paid and I wanted to file a lien and foreclose on that lien or file a lawsuit. Uh, I couldn't do that right now. Now, granted you're protected because the, the courts are tolling the statute of limitations, meaning they're delaying and you can still do it later, but your leverage to have that discussion with your clients to get paid now is, 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 is affected. So if you have something that talks about arbitration or mediation, those things could be done remotely. Um, those, um, organizations have the ability to do virtual uh, alternative dispute resolution. So that's something that you could look to. And if you had that in your contract, or if you had the ability to amend your contract to allow for virtual arbitration or, or mediation, that's something that, to consider. So this is something that you think designers and architects should consider going forward is putting in remediation and like, because there are some designers and architects who are, are getting clients even now. I know it's hard to believe. But that's something that you would recommend considering being put in any on foregoing contracts for mediation. Because yes. like you said, even you can't get a legal claim against somebody now at, the, at this point anyway. So um, A, try to resolve it and B, have mediation if you can. Well, yeah. So, so the way, what, I, I think most claims can settle. I think most claims can be resolved short of suing each other and being in court. Um, there's a number of different ways you can do that. The first suggestion would be to have the principles of the design team and the, and the client forced to actually physically meet and talk. And as you know, presumably the relationship is compromised at that point, but if you can get them in a room, there might be a chance where they could, you know, get to get to a resolution and see if that works. That doesn't work or that fails then I would suggest you, you look to a mediator who is a, basically a glorified, um, um, he doesn't have any authority to issue a decision, but he, he basically tells each side how weak their case is and tries to get them to come off their strict and hardened positions to a point where both parties are kind of unhappy and then they reach a settlement. And that that usually works out. Most Most of the time that works out and then if you can't do, if you can't resolve it that way, go to go to arbitration, because arbitration is uh, a condensed and more streamlined uh, litigation process rather than the courts. And you could do that all of these things virtually. Right. And, in light of this, and is this something that you could you could have your lawyer put into your contract with the client? Say, you know, any dispute will go to 
you know, mediation, arbitration before, or is, yes. is that something that you, you wouldn't specify in a contract? No, absolutely. You would want to specify that. Yeah. yeah. So it would probably make yeah. sense that going in, if anybody's getting new, to revise their standard contract to include that at this point. Because there's so many more, we don't know what, what's going to happen is if I was going to come back in the fall. I mean, you know, right. we, those are the kinds of things I think that people need to think about amending their contracts to, to is, there, is there anything else that you would, would think is important to, you know, trying to anticipate? I mean, God knows you couldn't, we, none of us could have anticipated this, but. Right. So, so right. The question is, can you, if you have the ability to, get new clients now, and that's an option for you, and, and you're fortunate enough to do that. Um, it, it does seem like the economy is still moving, especially in New York, um, notwithstanding that we don't know when the end of this is in sight. But um, that I would take this time to, to modify your contracts to include things that protect you against, um, and you don't necessarily have to name a pandemic in, in a clause or anything, but really what's affecting it is the governmental shutdown and the protocols that are not allowing you um, to maybe be on site or others to be on site or the work to continue. The consequence of the pandemic is really what you, what you want to address. So yeah, you want to address delays that are not your fault or due to uh, unavoidable circumstances. And that's typically in the, in, in the form of a force majeure. You want to uh, really be strict about how you, um, structure your payments. If you can front load your fees, that's ideal uh, through retainers, through um, you may not um, want to do milestones or uh, cost of construction. You may want to bill hourly, which could be right. You get paid as you go and that's ideal. You'd want some sort of uh, hammer in your, in your contract that says if, if my invoices are not disputed within a certain amount of time, uh, they're deemed admitted and therefore you have, you're just building your legal rights. Now as a practical matter, a client just says, I'm not paying you. I can't pay you. I'm not paying you. Mm -hmm. So what do you do? It's nice to be able to look to your contract to decide what you need to do, but you have to figure out how, what the implications are to your business and how you want to actually work with the client on a going forward basis. But to have a really strong contract to start with that that's, that's ideal because then the conversation tips in your favor. Now, in terms of, um, liability because as you know a lot of our members here deal with clients who are you know very wealthy and as we know very wealthy people aren't always uh the most rational when it comes to you know areas outside their expertise finance or whatever um and for example i was talking to a designer friend today and she was saying that she's very busy but she has one client um, who, you know, there can be no more construction in her apartment in Manhattan because that's all been shut down by the governor. So she was refusing to pay um, for anything, even though the workrooms that are making her curtains, her pillows, her bedding, all those people are working, are ready, they're willing to work. But she's saying, as long as there's no construction in my apartment, I refuse to pay for anything. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know how you could anticipate that situation, but is there any contractual way that, you know, my, 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 and my friend said, you know, I told my client, yeah, you can, we can wait the got, you know, another six weeks or whatever until construction can start again. But by that point, everybody will start their construction and the workers that are not so busy now that could be doing your work are going to be 
hit up with all, but you know, it's, it's not a rational thing. Right. And the law is very rational. So what, what fees would your friend be incurring at that point? Well, that, she's that's not, not incurring the fees, but she's like, wants to get the workrooms paid, you know? So it's not so much her, I mean, she's not getting, her client won't pay her fees either, but she she's trying to get the project done, mm -hmm. as much done as she can while the construction can't go on. But the client, you know, a lot of these people are not, they don't think clearly about these very emotional things. And, if, you know, you stop working in my apartment, I'm not going to pay for it. Right. Um, That's just an example. I just heard that. Yeah, no, so I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think what the client would be paying for if the construction is not going on at that point, at that point. Well, there's all, you know, yeah. upholstery, mm -hmm. you know, all things that are made in workrooms that are not in her apartment, you know? Right. Okay. So you're talking about the production at the production level. Okay. Right. Got it. Not the installation. It makes no sense. But... Got it. Okay. So, I mean, the argument is simply work is being done. It just doesn't happen to be in your apartment. Um, you know, and the other is, yes. So your contract could have all sorts of other provisions in there that talk to, um, depending on who you are, if you're a designer, architect of record, mm -hmm. where you have control over the documents or not. One of the things I talk about in uh, the white paper is to the extent you can retain the copyright in the drawings, um, that's, that's a strong uh, right to have because you say, well, okay, you're not paying me, you can't use my drawings. Mm -hmm. You can't use the work product or the deliverables or anything like that. And if you do, that's a copyright violation because you haven't paid you have to pay for it to be able to use it. So, I mean, that's a hard line to say to the client. Um, so it all depends on the relationship that you have. But again, there are contractual mechanisms you can use. I mean, I, I would, the first thing I would point to is say, no, 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 work is going on. Right. And this is what you hired me to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My friend is she's busy at the other clients. So she said, this client is just crazy. And you know, that yeah. happens. Yeah. Now, one of the things I wanted to ask you, Alex, a little bit more about is this, this um, liability about going to the project site because you know so there are some people don't want anyone in their home they whatever and then there's other people who are like what do you mean construction has stopped or whatever you know I want I want this finished and they have no consideration for even the governor or the president saying work has to stop so the question is how would you is there a way I guess to protect yourself from either one of those situations I mean you know maybe you don't want to send your your team your staff to a, a project site until you're you know they're not comfortable the client is yeah i mean yelling and i want to get this restarted you know even let's say three weeks from now god knows when but say three weeks from now governor cuomo says okay construct you know second level construction can continue in new york what if your staff is not comfortable or the client's not comfortable going there is there any liability issues in that kind of situation yeah, I mean, that that goes to what I was talking about with workers' compensation would extend to the project site as well. Okay. Um, so there are ethical issues to consider, to consider as well. Do you want to subject your employees to that environment? Um, can you do it safely? Do you, Can you sleep at night knowing that you did send someone there and someone got ill? And um, these are all things to, to think about. From a, li from a purely liability standpoint, I think your, your workers' comp would cover you in that okay. situation, yeah. yeah. Okay, um, and, and workman's comp, you mentioned that a, a few times. That's something that 
presumably every firm's lawyer would have, they've been paying that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This is, this is kind of a standard operating procedure in SPOP. Yes. Yeah. Typically you would, you, I, I think it's, it's a statutory amount. I, I know for contractors, for sure. Right. Right. For designers and, and architects may, may not. Right. Be, I, I don't know. I'm not an insurance expert, but I can tell you that typically people carry it. We carry it as a law firm. Right. So we just, you know, someone, someone tripped in our office, right. Break their arm or, you know, we don't want to be in a lawsuit with, with our uh, employees. Either employee or client. Correct. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, now I know this is, you know, we're in a unique situation. We're all learning as we go along, but do you see any other changes going forward that might impact future contracts? Things like lessons we were learning from this or anything else that you feel maybe our members should go to the lawyer and say, I'm not sure we have a strong enough wording on this issue or that issue in the light of what's happened. Yeah, again, I think that ties into how do you deal with unavoidable circumstances, right? And it doesn't, it could be this, it could be something else. It could be an act of terrorism. It could be um, just a government, governmental shutdown for other reasons. It could be uh, an economic collapse. It could be the, the 2007 crisis. It, things that you just did not see coming and it, it really cripples the, the infrastructure of, of the economy. Um, so, and the good news is that I haven't heard much about the lenders stopping lending at this point. Um, they're continuing to fund projects, at least on the commercial level. And so that's keeping everything going. And, and from the legal side, we, we represent quite a few developers and owners and, and designers who are dependent on, on that construction financing and, and the lenders and the liquidity coming into the market. So um, the, those things, yes, you, you wanna be as careful as you can to protect against that. And that's why you want to, um, again, in your contract, be, be more upfront about how you are paid uh, you want to protect against uh, those situations where there are unavoidable delays. And maybe maybe there is no ability to collect from your client when things like this happen because they just don't have the ability to pay. Um, right. Then you need to get out of the contract, right? And you need to file a lien at that point to protect your rights. And that's, uh, if the relationship is done, you can't collect from the client and there's nothing to do. You need, you need to, to go after the one asset that is available to you, uh, which would be the, the project that you're working on. And so what a mechanics lien does is it puts you next in line after the mortgage lender, presumably, unless you're the last in line of the, of the construction liens, of the, of the mechanics liens, to um, use the property as collateral in the event that you were to, uh, that you needed to sue to recover the amount that you're owed. Um, you know, it's seen, it, it is a, a little bit of a gauntlet thrown um, at that point, when you do That's file a lien, situation. <laughs> suing your, your client. Yeah. At that point. yeah. Um, but I'm sure I'm sure that does happen, and clients sue. Yeah. I know clients sometimes sue designers and architects. I mean, there's famous examples through history. I mean, I think Miss Vandero was sued. Frank Lloyd Wright was sued many times. Um, but obviously, I think like like you were saying before about putting in about mediation arbitration, all those things are kind of ways to minimize the chances that you're gonna be sued. 
you know, how you vet your clients so that you don't end up having to sue them is probably a little bit harder to support. Right. 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 Again. So, yeah. So, I mean, again, it's, it's your ability to collect uh, on, on what you've produced and hopefully you're not too far behind. Uh, What does your contract give you the rights to do? And are you insulated from a client going after you and saying, you're the one that's causing, causing, yeah, I know we're in a world pandemic, but uh, you were supposed to give me what I needed and I don't care about this. Um, That's what all that matters. Right. And so then you would look, okay, so how do I protect myself? Well, I, I get the, the appropriate insurance. I try to limit my liability in the contract. Uh, ideally, you would limit it to the amount that you've been paid. So maximum exposure would be, okay, if I completely lose on everything, the maximum I, I would have to owe is what I've been paid. That would, that would minimize a lot of, now most clients are not gonna go for that. They would, um, they would ask for unlimited liability and you would come back and presumably compromise on, well, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the ability to go after whatever's available in my insurance. That way you're passing the risk off to your right. insurance company. And, um, and then of course, you know, how you define your scope of services and exclusions and who's responsible for what is another way to protect yourself. And I go back, of course, again, to how you describe unavoidable delays rather than leaving it to a court or an arbitrator to determine whether you fall under the category of frustration of purpose or impracticability, mm-hmm. um, which is the argument you would have to make if you didn't have a force majeure clause. Right. And one would think that since the world is basically shut down, that people would accept that this is an unavoidable delay, but I'm sure there are some people who don't see it that way. Um, yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, the, some, uh, a good amount of my developer clients are transitioning to do a lot of the back office work now. If they can't go on site, they're, they're, they're revising their drawings or doing whatever they need to do um, to get in a position so that when um, things come back into play, they can, they can jump back into the game. Um, one of the things that is prevalent and a major part of my practice as well is dealing with neighbors. Um, it's, it's become a industry of its own where you have to, if you're doing any sort of renovation or um, ground up construction in New York, you're inevitably gonna have neighbors next to you and you need to protect them under the building code. So a lot of those things have become very contentious because neighbors just don't like construction next to you. So they will do anything in their, in their ability to stop you from proceeding. Um, or gaining access to their apartment or their building. And uh, that could be a major source of delay too. So another thing you would want to include in your contract is- That's always been the case. That was pre-pandemic. That was the case of difficulty. True, true. But it became a source of um, extortion, I would call it uh, now. So between- Yeah, so so 2011, I saw just um, the volume of these things start to increase dramatically where- the neighbors and the, and the courts have kind of um, fostered this thinking, which is, okay, give me a lot of money and then I'll think about it, whether I'm gonna give you access. So, yeah. you know, the, these, the, the developers are doing a lot of that now. They're trying to work out these agreements in the, in the background while the courts are not available, construction is not going on and, and things like that. It's not particularly relevant in the, in the design world because it's really the owner contractor level dealing with that. Right. But it's, again, it's a delay that delay. could happen yeah. right. awesome. um, and you want to be able to, to to make sure it's not on your end that's causing this right right 
And are there any other issues that you've been seeing coming up as a result of the coronavirus, the delays, the shutdowns? Um, any of your well, in the, I don't know how it's all going to shake out, um, no. but you see that uh, the the prevention of foreclosures and um, evictions are prompting tenants not to pay rent. And I don't know what that means for commercial developers because if they're not getting their rent roll and they can't sustain their mortgages, how does that play out at the end of the day? And how does that impact renovations that would otherwise be done by these developers? Um, or new building projects or new loans, or if they default on their loan, there's, there's all sorts of collateral consequences based at the, at the most basic level that people, the one thing, the, the thing that people default on last is their home. But now it's almost the first because <laughs> you've prevented foreclosures and evictions. So it's, it's kind of a little bit backwards. In right. Looking at what's going that's, on. that's only temporary. I mean, you know, yeah, it's temporary. It's temporary. And, and the argument is, oh, okay, well, you know, they'll, they'll pay when this is over, but of course they're just going to renegotiate. And what's the landlord and or the developer going to do? Um, they'd rather take a, a bird in the hand at that point right. rather than sue and pay a lot of money to try to collect it. Right. Yeah. It's, it's this <laughs> great new world and God knows what's going to happen. Um, oh, and, and, and so one other point, one other, one other point to that is that, mm -hmm. um, you know, if you can't, um, depending on whether it's a, a project to be built for someone else, that, that's a huge factor, right? If you're building a project for, for other people, they can't get in to see it or have the ability to, to a timely delivery of that, how that impacts the, the whole market and everything. Uh, it's, we'll see how that plays out as well. So anyway. Right. right. It's like, and it's like, as you know, you can have the, the, um, the, um, strongest contract in the world you think you've covered everything but you just never know what's going to happen so um but it's better to have an unforeseen circumstances with a strong contract backing you than facing unforeseen circumstances without a good contract to back you up wouldn't you agree say that one more time i was just reading a q a that just popped on my screen for a second <laughs> um, no i'm just saying you know, no contract is going to protect you from everything, and nobody could have predicted this. This is a perfect right. example. But I think it's better to go into unforeseen circumstances with a good contract backing you up than not having a good contract. Yes, of course. Um, to, to not have a contract right. depends how you look at it. Okay. I mean, if you don't have a contract, you own the copyright, so that's good. You right. can hold everything back. Right. But if you also, you don't have all the mechanisms to make sure you get paid. So that's right. a problem. You don't necessarily get paid. And also, you may have a lot more liability than you otherwise would, which is not yeah. good. Okay, so let's add, let's go take some of these questions. Um, um, there's a couple of questions here. Okay, so this is the first one here. It says here, recently there was a bankruptcy chapter seven declared by Dongia, which is a well-known design firm and fabric. I suspect there may be many others. And a cost plus purchase, purchasing agreement is it up to the designer to absorb exposure or the clients? Like, this is a big issue. Like, so many companies now are, especially smaller companies, which the design industry uses a lot of, architects use a lot of, you know, craftsmen, artisans, particularly small companies. 
do you want to commit, if you commit to buying and they go out of business or something, how do you protect yourself so that you don't absorb these losses? Right. Um, I don't make sure. Can language be input to the client to absorb such exposure liabilities? In cases where such specific language is not in agreement, where does the law stand? Um, you know, and that's exactly this issue I've been talking about other designers about this. They, you know, they want to support small craftsmen and artisans, small companies, but are those the most likely to go out of business? What if you put an order with them and you put down 50% deposit for mm -hmm. a, a set of custom nightstands or whatever and a bed, and then they go out of business? Right. Well, presumably, again, that, that would go to whose money are you putting that deposit down with? Are you, are you putting the client's money into that pot or, or is that your money and the expectation that you're going to be reimbursed uh, on a cost plus arrangement? Um, so, so one of the things that I mentioned in the white paper is, is to look for 100% of the cost up front. Uh, so the client, would, you'd pass that risk off uh, to, the, to the client in that case. So you're not, you're not putting your own pot into that. Um, now, now, so I don't know the specific circumstance here. If, if, if you're saying that you did put money in and now what do you do uh, if you can't collect against that, um, against the manufacturer or, or get the product delivered and now your money is tied up? That Presumably you would be a creditor uh, in that example. Um, and if you don't have any con contracts that allows you to recover that from your client, presumably you would be the one uh, that would be on the hook. So that's why the contract is important uh, right. to make sure that you are not on the hook for money you outlay. Right. Same as reimbursable expenses. I mean, it, 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 in that sense too, you want to get approval up front if you can. But, you know, there's also a human level. Okay, you can get the client to agree. They're going to, you know, put this 50% down for this, the rug or whatever it is mm -hmm. that's being made mm -hmm. three or four months from now, but then come to go out of business it's the client's money, but the client's going to be mad at you. So it's, it's an issue. I and mean, is there any other, it's another, well, big sure, sure. I mean, the same maybe you, you involve right? the client in, in the, in that process where there's transparency and who you're selecting. Um, if you're opaque about it or you're not, you're not clear about who you're using, they would say, well, I had no input and you just went ahead and picked someone to get what you needed, but you knew that there was a risk that they would go bankrupt or they couldn't deliver. So you were, you were responsible in, in that sense. So to the extent you could be forthright and transparent upfront and have a contractual mechanism that, that shifts the risk to the client, uh, some sort of disclaimer that says, this is who we're using. Um, and uh, you know, to the extent that you put in a deposit, you acknowledge that there is a risk, uh, like any waiver form, that this money could be lost due to the company's inability to, to deliver. Right. That would be the way to contractually. So in other words, Involve the client, be transparent. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Okay. Somebody's asking here about what if a client gets sick and blames you or one of your agents or one of your staff members because you were on this site in their apartment or whatever. Should we ask clients or others to sign waivers if they're asking us to do work, to show up on, on site or whatever? Does that make yeah, sense? That, yeah. I mean, it would be very hard to prove. Um, right. unless they were extreme quarantine and they didn't do anything, but let's say they were, and, um, they got sick in a situation where you had someone go to their site and you want to limit your risk. Absolutely. You could, you could have them sign a waiver. It's, I do that typically, um, 
in the context of, of neighbor agreements where that I was talking about earlier, where if we have to do a site visit, um, we will have the existing, um, or anyone who goes on site, sign a waiver that they, they acknowledge that they could get hurt. Now this would be the flip where the mm -hmm. host would be signing a waiver saying, I acknowledge that having you in my home puts me at risk and that um, I, I release and waive any, any claims against you to the extent that that happens. It would be a little awkward to do it. I mean, this science- It would be a little awkward, but you, you, could always, you could always include that in your um, contract. It could be somewhat innocuous, meaning that uh, to the extent that we go on site, that's, that's uh, you accept or assume the risk of us being on site, including anything that we bring with us. And, and in light of the current situation, um, and um, you acknowledge that there are so certain social distancing requirements and we're trying to comply as best we can with our contract, but we can't be at risk of, of, of being sued, something like that in the contract yeah. itself, so which I think is fair. I mean, if they're insisting, if they're insisting on you coming to their home and you don't necessarily feel comfortable about it, I think it offers peace of mind to say, hey, I, that's fine, but I need to acknowledge that nobody's getting sued here if anything. Mm -hmm. If anything happens. Right, right. So. Um, and if, to get back to the other question about somebody's asking here, following up on the Dongi example, for existing projects where you already have a contract, is there wording you can put in the proposals at this point to address this? In other words, like you have a contract for the client. Um, you know, you've been hired to design their apartment or whatever. Mm -hmm. Can you then say, you, you, send, you send the client say, oh, this, I think this is the craftsman we should hire to build all the, the cabinetry in your bedroom or whatever, just an example. But you should know it's a small company, so mm -hmm. there's a little risk. Is that something that you think would be workable, feasible, or even legally binding? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's similar to the bidding process for contractors. Where, when construction managers go to their owners and say, hey, I got all these trades and these are the bids I'm getting from these various trades. Who do you want to select? And they're participating in the bids. Now, maybe on a residential, they're not as involved in, uh, at that level. But you could do something similar, I think, for, for uh, on the purchasing side. And I know a lot of designers say they they vetted out all their sources as much as, as you can and say, you know, what's your strength? Did you still have your staff? You know, that kind of thing. But these things could happen. Um, I think that's... Again, somebody's asking, should there be an agreement between vendors, um, designers? Um, should you go, instead of going to the client, should you go to your vendors? Let's say, you know, you have an iron, a guy who makes iron work or does leather upholstery or something. Is it worth trying to have an agreement with them that, or, you know, saying yeah. if you go out of business, you have to pay me back or you have yeah, to- sure. Sure. I mean, I, I, there's all sorts of ways you could could structure that as well. In the contract with the vendor, you could have an escrow where the, the money is escrowed, um, depending on what they're doing and how they're devoting those that money, right? If they need to actually pay out their employees to build to build that, you know, that may not be viable. But um, yeah, because you're not likely to be the first person right. on the list to get the right. Exactly. Um, but you can have a contract with your vendor. Yeah. Sure. Um, I, don't I know think I think that makes sense to try to guard against a situation where you're left holding the bag if, if they run off with your money and they can't deliver what you paid them to deliver. 
but to the extent that you can pass that risk back to the client, that's the, I think it's ideal. Right. Okay. And Obviously then, not yeah. beneficial because nobody wants to be in that situation, but maybe you share the risk with a client, right? right. Maybe, maybe you say, okay, I'll take this responsibility and you take that if, if something were catastrophic would happen. Right. And somebody said here, somebody else is saying, would it make sense to have the designer doesn't want to be on the hook? Would it make sense to have the client make the deal directly with the vendor or the artist? But it seems very complicated to me, no? The client and the vendor? Well, yeah. you could be an agent for the client, right? So you right. can structure the contract with the vendor as agent for the client. And really, you're not taking any role. So that that's that's one way to do it, right? Really, the client is signing that contract, but you've you've done all the legwork to, to right. connect that relationship. I mean, that could be, I suppose that could be feasible for some, but I imagine a lot of clients aren't gonna to wanna to do that. It seems like. Well, I mean, ultimately they're the ones paying, right? Right. They're the ones they're paying the ones and they're the ones- They wanna deal with all the paperwork and all that. Right, so, so you could structure a situation where you say, uh, okay, I will find the vendor. Uh, I will locate the product. I will vet it for you. I will competitively bid it for you. Uh, and I will show it to you, but when it's time to pay, you're the one signing on the, on the dotted line. So if anything goes wrong, that's on you. I mean, I know people have done that for big things and, you know, designers have done that for, for major commitments of funding or whatever, you know, big projects. Um, big, but it, well, I guess it depends on the individual circumstances, but. Well, the, the other thing you could do instead of having, um, the putting that in front of the client every time in your master contract with the client, you would say that you have the, the client is granting you the ability to enter into these contracts with the vendors and the client recognizes the risks inherent uh, in that relationship. And if, if there were a bankruptcy to occur or they were unable to provide for reasons that were uh, unknown at this time, um, the, the client's money is at risk essentially. Okay, great. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. Um, I don't, I, there doesn't seem to be any other questions. So um, I think that's, we're pretty much done, Alex, unless there's anything else that you feel, um, you know, nobody else seems to be writing in. So I guess you answered a lot of the questions. Well, there's one question who said that in practicality, as an agent, it doesn't necessarily work because the relationship is between the designer and the vendor and they don't necessarily want to have the yeah well you know maybe this is the opportunity this is the time now that it can work right because everything is changing dramatically right yeah. i mean we we're quickly transitioning into a virtual world our ability to to work remotely has been dramatically changed um the real estate and construction markets are going to change we don't know exactly how they are going to but they could and this could be an opportunity to to really streamline it in a way that makes sense. Now, how you structure it is, is I think takes some creativity and, and, and a way to make it work. But I think there is a solution there where you're not left holding the bag on that. Because that doesn't, that doesn't seem fair to me. And it seems that it might be worth spending some time to figure that out with your lawyer or whatever, because it's our precarious times for a lot of companies, especially smaller ones that in the design world. So. And I'm sure that the vendors would probably be at least more willing to do it than they were, say, a year ago. 
because they understand they, they want to keep their, their, the designer clients and whatever. They understand that it is a different time. So, yeah, I mean, this might go to the diligence up front in with your vendor, right? The relationship that you have with your vendor. And I'm looking at this, it seems like a, a good amount of these questions are geared at what if these vendors go belly up or what if right, these vendors can't deliver. So again, you're going to want to vet the vendor the same way a client would want to vet a contractor, right? Who, who's, right. Who, who's proceeding on the job. So you want to do your diligence. You want to make sure they're financially healthy. You want to maybe do a litigation search, see if they're involved in any litigation or any claims against them or any, any um, claims that they've brought. Um, maybe they post a bond. Maybe you ask for a bond requirement. Maybe there's all sorts of things you might be able to do to ensure that um, the money uh, that's deposited towards these things is not lost. Okay, well, um, Alex, I can't thank you enough. Um, and this has been really great. Somebody else did ask, are we gonna put, send out an email with bullet points about this, but we don't, not gonna send an email out, but we are gonna post this on the website um, so that people can watch this and refresh um, the people who weren't able to um, tune in can have it. Um, and again, I want to remind everyone in the audience that these um, expert access webinars do have AIA and ASID CEU credits. So if you reach out to me again, she will um, give her the information. She'll make sure you get credit for attending the session. And um, we are continuing with the expert access webinars. On Thursday, I'm hosting one with um, on using social uh, media to build brand awareness. And um, uh, that's with Benjamin Raynard of Domino Magazine. And um, you can sign up at the DLN website um, under the events tab. And, um, and then we're gonna be announcing even more um, expert access webinars in the, in the coming weeks. So keep watch for that. Um, and yes, the, um, somebody just asked, is the uh, contract white paper on the DLN website, and yes, it is. So it's there um, for anybody to read, and it's, I can't tell you how important it is. It's really great. Um, and that's because Alex is so great. And Alex, thank you so much again for doing this, and we really appreciate yes. the update. And um, we may have to draw upon you again as these things evolve, because as we all agree, nobody knows what's really gonna happen and where we're at. Sure, sure. Seems like things are getting better. So um, at least we're getting back to work. So thank Great. you, Alex. And um, thanks for thank thanks for having me on. It was a pleasure. Um, I mean, there's such a wealth of material we could talk about. I've devoted most of my career working on these uh, on these types of contracts and trying to. My mindset is mostly about solution based. Um, I rarely want to get to a position where I'm fighting with a client or fighting with people. The, the contract is just there as a source for discussion and to get to a resolution. And if you have those things in the contract, it's very helpful. Right. All right. Great. All right. Thank you all. Okay. And all right. I'll see a lot of you on Thursday. Okay. Thanks, Alex. Thanks.